Good morning and welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And can we welcome our West Campus, Appleton Campus, Online Campus, Germantown Campus? Give a big welcome. If you are new to Life Church, we are one church, multiple locations, and we believe that uh, video is the stained glass of the 21st century. And so uh, there are campuses right now currently meeting at multiple sites throughout this area and, and uh, in central Wisconsin. And so it's good to see you here today and to be a part of what God is doing. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of First John. I'm going to just kind of jump right in. Uh, Pastor Kevin did a great job last weekend with part two of this, and and uh, and just and to this, so today I want to just kind of continue on. We're going to get into First John chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you, along with some notes that are there. Uh, but um, if you do have your Bible, you can go to First John chapter three, verse eleven, and uh, we are. We're talking about the fact today that, that God is love, and what does that mean? And so I'm going to kind of continue this next weekend. So if you want to continue reading through chapter 4 for next week, you can kind of see where we're going and see what's happening. But today, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John gives us this verse. It's kind of the theme. It's kind of the thesis, if you would, uh, for this. And it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So this is the message from the beginning that we should love one another. And this is his whole theme. Now, let, let me remind you that John is speaking here to the church. He's speaking to a local church. And what we know is that that local church was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. So for 21st century language, that would be people that had been raised in church and understood church and people that had never been raised in church and didn't understand church. And so, which is kind of cool to me because life church is is a mix of people that have been raised in church and people that, man, you just started attending the last month. And this is a brand new experience for you. And so this is really cool how he kind of speaks to this audience. This is somewhere between 30 to 60 years after the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. And so at this point in time, there are people that he's talking to that have never seen Jesus face to face, that, that, that are getting this message, in essence, secondhand as you and I are. Uh, we've never seen Jesus face to face, yet we're followers of Christ. And uh, what we know is what the disciples have, put down, have, have placed down in writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of things that are similar. He's also dealing with a lot of issues that are happening internally inside the church. And in this particular passage that we're going to look at today, he's dealing with issues that are happening inside the church that if we can't really love one another, we'll never love the world. If we can't really love one another, we're probably really not in God. If we really can't love one another, then we've got bigger issues. And so let me say this at the beginning. All of us are jacked up, right? You understand that? That's the theological term. It is. In the book of Hezekiah 3.5. That's not a book, but it just seems if you're awake. So, I mean, but it, we're all messed up. We're flawed. And, uh, and so, so the ground's leveled at the foot of the cross. And I'm not up here today uh, saying to you, uh, you know, hey, those of you in Appleton, you, you need to be living like I'm living. Or those of you that are in Germantown, you look, look, look at me. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But John is speaking this issue, and John wasn't perfect either. And John is directing this issue. So how do we love one another? How is God's love expressed? I'm so glad you asked that question. He does this comparison contrast between the world and between God. 
and, and between the way the world loves and the way God loves. So let's look at the way the world loves. That's the first thing he goes into is when he talks about this message from the beginning that we should love one another, he talks about the way the world loves. Look at verse 12 through verse 15 of chapter 3 of 1 John. Do not be like Cain. He's talking about Cain and Abel, the first sons of Adam and Eve, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Verse 13, important verse. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. For we know that we pass from death to light because we love one another. It means because Christ is in our heart and our life, we pass from death to light. But we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who doesn't love, you're really not saved is what he's saying. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, just like Cain. And you know that the murderer has no eternal life resting or residing in him. So John just sets this up and he says, look, first of all, the world's love is selfish. The world's love is selfish. Uh, Cain was motivated by selfish motives and, 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 and he wanted to snuff out the righteousness of the purity of his brother Abel. And so is true of the world that we live in. He says in verse 13, hey, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Now, I just want me to stop right here and give you a parenthetical thought. When he's referring to brothers and sisters, he's talking about those of us that are in Christ uh, that are Christ followers, that are in the church. And that's how he's referring to us, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he, he says, don't be surprised, those of you that are in the church, if the world doesn't accept your message. And, and it's true. I mean, you know, sometimes when we, we try to be as, as friendly as we can and as kind as we can, but bottom line, at the end of the day, the world's never going to accept Jesus in his totality. At the end of the day, the world is never going to accept the gospel message in its totality. The world and the spirit behind the world, the Antichrist in essence, we'll talk about that in just a minute, will never accept this message. So, so, so basically what he's saying is, hey, don't lose sleep over this. Don't get wigged out about this. Don't, don't, don't get jacked up about this. This is something that's going to happen. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. And the world probably isn't going to like you and like what you do and what you stand for. And as much in the 21st century as we try to blend in, as much in the 21st century that we try to peacefully coexist, that's about as best as we can do. Paul says, as much as it depends upon me, be at peace with all men. How many of you know sometimes you can't be at peace with people, not because of you, but because of them? And so it's, this isn't an us and them conversation, but you just have to understand, there will be times when you're following Jesus that you will take a stand and it will not be popular. It will not be accepted. It will, it will be counter-cultural. And in America, in this post-Christian America in which we live in, we're no longer a Christian nation. We're a post-Christian nation. You need to realize that. So don't get all jazzed at your schools. Don't get all jazzed at the world. Don't get all mad. Just accept the fact. I'm not saying that you just lay down and just do. I'm saying understand when you go into secular society, they're not going to embrace the values that you embrace. Understand that they're not going to probably love the same things that you love. And understand that sometimes that's going to come out in hate. Why? Because the world's love is selfish. Why is it selfish? Well, first of all, it's flawed by sin. It's flawed by sin. We're all born into this sinful nature. It's all about me. If you don't believe that, just when you leave here today, just see some toddlers in the, in the foyer of the theater that you're attending or, or at the Germantown campus and, and just see them and, and, and try to take, give them a piece of candy and try to take it away from them, right? No, it's mine, mine, mine. Uh, there's some 16-year-olds that are like that. It's mine, right? It's mine. 
And all the parents say, no, it's mine. Praise God. Amen. So there's this thing about us. And so it's how we're, we're, it's this, it's this, we're born this way. The second reason why the world's love is selfish is we are fleshly in nature. The Bible uses the word fleshly to, to describe this selfish, worldly side of us. That we have this proclivity to live and to exist in sin. That it's easier to do wrong than it is to do right. Look, if it was easy to serve Jesus, everybody would do it. That's the truth. If it was easy to love your neighbor as yourself, everybody would do it. If it was easy just to get along, everybody. But it's not. It's it's, because it goes against the very nature and essence of who we are. In the book of of Galatians, if you're really wanting to study this, you can go and Paul does a great, great exposition on this flesh and spirit and the battle that takes place there in the book of Galatians. But that's why the world's love is selfish. It's because we're born in this world, and so we're flawed by sin, but we're also fleshly in nature. Now, he doesn't end there. He just sets it up to say, this is the backdrop. Then he goes into the next section of of the passage. He says that this is the way that God loves. This is the way that God loves. Verse 16, 17, and 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and see a brother and sister in need, but has no pity or compassion on him, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a rhetorical question. It means it can't. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So John establishes that God's love is selfless. His love is selfless. How how do we know what love is? That Christ laid down his life for us. The New Testament goes on to say that he laid down his life for us when we were yet sinners. Before we accepted the message, before we ever loved him, he first loved us. So if we proclaim that Christ is in us and God is in us, then we should follow the example of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be Christ-like, or I like the better term, Christ follower. It more depicts really what it means for me to follow Jesus. That means that because Jesus is in me and I am in him, I don't have an option not to love you. I don't have an option to, not to, to get along with you. I don't have an option not to help you, even if I don't like you. And some of you, I don't like. Let's just be honest. We're all at church here. Let's don't lie. We don't to strike down, right? Be dead. Come on. There are some people at Life Church you just don't like. Some of you, you met them in the parking lot. Woo! Did you see that, Pastor? I saw your eyes. If looks could kill. I'm just saying. But we got to love one another. We've got to get along with one another. And so God's love is selfless. So how do we show God's love? He says in, in action and in truth. Verse 18. How do we demonstrate this selfless love of God? In action and in truth. What does that mean? Well, let's look at action for a minute. Verse 16 says that Christ gave his life for us, so we should give ours for our brothers and sisters. What does that mean? That means if I see someone in need, I should, first of all, internally feel compassion towards that. If you see someone that's in need and you don't feel compassion towards that, something is wrong with you. Let's rewind the tape on that one. What did you say? I said, if you see someone that's in need 
and there's not something on the inside of you that says, I need to help. What can I do? I may not be able to do everything, but I can do something. If that doesn't happen inside of you, something is wrong. Something is wrong. But I don't know that person. It doesn't matter. If you just sit there and there's no compassion and you just, something is wrong. Well, you just understand that's just the way the world works. No, I understand. The way the world works is selfish, but the way that God's love works is selfless. And if Christ is in us, then we are to demonstrate this for our brothers and sisters. We are to demonstrate this. And if we cannot do it with insiders, with people that are claimed to believe the same thing we do, how in the world can we do that with people outside the church? That's why he deals with the church. It, it, there, there's, a, there's an understanding there that if you can love your brothers and sisters inside the church, you can love the world. But you cannot love the world and hate your brothers and sisters. So we show this in our action. First of all, do I feel something? Secondly, do I do something about it? I love sometimes when people call the church and tell us what we need to do. <laughs> I saw this need and I think the church needs to do something about it. If you ever call me and have that conversation with me, let me tell you how it's going to go. With all the love and compassion that I have for my brothers and sisters. I'm going to say, you saw it. God's speaking to you. You need to do something about it. But I can't meet the whole need. That's okay. You can do something. What, what is the something you can do? God doesn't expect you to do what you cannot do. But he does expect you to do what you have the ability to do. You see someone that's in need. Meet the need. And the devil is never going to tell you to be nice. So if you go, you know, I don't know if this is God or if this is me. Should I buy them a tank of gas or not? It's not the devil. Do you understand? I can just help you with this. It's not the devil. Well, I don't know if I'm really supposed to go by and pick those kids up. I, I see them sitting there, and they're just playing, and their parents are gone, and, and I just think maybe we should bring them to church on Sunday. And I just don't know if that's me or the devil. The devil's never going to tell you to pick kids up and take them to church. Do you understand? So, so the reality is, is that we should not just feel something, but we should do something. And don't do this. I'm going to pray for you, brother. Really? Not that prayer is bad. We need to pray for one another. But if you have the ability, the book of James says, if you, have, if you see your brother in need, don't just say be warm and well fed and go on your way. Meet their need. Meet their need. Is it going to inconvenience you? Yes. But don't you think Jesus dying on the cross for our sins inconvenienced him a bit? Just a thought. That's why he compares that. He likens our love and our compassion and our action for our brothers and sisters at the same level as what Christ did for us. How is truth shown? Because he says, let us express this in truth and love. So how is truth shown? He's going to talk about truth. Look at verse 19 through verse 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and that he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Let me just stop right there and just tell you that when he's speaking of hearts there, in the original language, it, it, it denotes the meaning of feeling. So if you feel saved or you feel right with God or you don't feel right with God, I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Verse 22. We receive anything from him we ask because we keep his commands and do what he pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of Jesus, the Son, Jesus, the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. 
The one who doesn't keep God's commands doesn't, is what he's saying. And he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. So let me talk about this just real quick. Verse 20 and 21, he's speaking about this feeling. You know how sometimes you feel saved? You feel right with God? Emotionally, you just feel like you're on top of the world. It's kind of like, like you have completely taken the, the Tupperware dish and you've got all four corners down. You burped the fourth one and it's there. Like, what? I mastered this? Because most of the time, one, one, one corner pops up. Let's just be honest, right? Okay, not in your world. In my world, it does. <laughs> the reality is, is that he is saying here, don't let your feelings rule you. Don't let your feelings tell you whether you are right with God or not. And some of you do this really, really, really. It, it's, it's, it's a thing for you. Because here's what happens. You, you've given your life to Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that we are saved. We're right with God. But the reality is, is, is this, is that when we allow ourselves to go, you know, man, I messed up on Tuesday. I blew it on Friday. I totally lost my cool on Saturday. I'm not right with God. This isn't shoots and ladders, right? This isn't the game shoots and ladders with God. You're, you're not right with him, then you're not right with him. Right with him, then not right with him. His grace is sufficient for you. So the same way that you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and your life, can you reject him? Yes, because you're a free moral agent. Revelation chapter 3, I believe it's 19 or 20, 21, says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if any man will open the door and invite him to come in, he will come in with him. The same way you can invite Jesus into your life, you can say, I, don't, I no longer want this. But you don't do that. It's not like three strikes and you're out. This isn't baseball. Like, if you sin three times this week, then you're no longer saved. No, 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 no. God's grace is way bigger than that. God's mercy is way bigger than that. What it does mean is that when you blow it, you don't need to get re-saved. When you blow it, you just need to confess your sins unto Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 says that when we confess our sins unto him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say in chapter 1 of 1 John that we, he doesn't want us to sin, but if we do sin, if we do fail, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ. Basically, he's the one that pays our penalty for our sin. So, be very careful, verse 21, 20 and 21, he's talking about don't be ruled by your feelings. Don't let the feeling of am I right with God or am I not right with God. Let the word of God, let the truth of God establish these things. So how is it established that you're right with God? Well, first of all, in verse 22, he says to have faith in Jesus. To have faith in Jesus. Our confidence is in salvation, not in our feelings. How do I know that I'm saved? Because I've done what the Bible says. I've confessed with my mouth and I believed in my heart. God's come into my heart and my life. And just let me say that to you today. If you've not crossed the line to give your life to Christ, I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking you if you were baptized as an infant or you were dedicated or you were confirmed. I'm saying, have you come to a place where you've said with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus, I accept the fact that I'm a sinner and that you're my Savior, that I'm lost in my sins and that the only way that I've got out is you. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you were born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my, my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. And Jesus, I confess you as my Savior, and I confess my sins before you. If you accept him, and you believe on him, and you confess your sins and confess him as your Savior, the Bible says that you are saved. You've been brought from death, 
unto life. And so you don't have to, you, you in essence, according to verse 22, you've put your faith in Jesus. And your confidence is in your salvation. Our confidence is not in us. It's in him. It's not in my feelings. It's in him. Because that's what the Bible says. This is where we have peace that passes understanding. Because our emotions can be fickle. Our feelings can be up and down. Our feeling God can be up and down. Some of you in the worship service that you just experienced, you really connected with God. Some of you didn't connect at all. Some of you are sitting here going, I just feel numb on the inside. I've been serving God for a long time. I just feel numb. You cannot be led by your feelings, your emotions. It will get you in trouble every single time. We're led by faith. The next way that we know that the truth of God is in us is that we're obedient to Jesus. Verse 22, 23, and 24, we're obedient to Jesus. What does that mean? He says it right there. There's two things we're to do. We're to love God, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to love God, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and be in love with him, passionately in love with him, and do what he commands. And we're to love one another. Look at verse 23. To believe in the name of Jesus and to love one another. It's the cross. It's the cross. The cross isn't some symbol. The cross is how you live life. The cross isn't something that's some ornamental decoration that's put in a church or you wear around your neck. If that's all that it is to you, you've lost it. Anybody in the world can do that. People that are totally devoid of God do that because they think it's some symbol, some symbolism, some good luck charm. No, 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 no. This is how we live this. This is how we know that it's there. It's not hanging on the wall. It's lived out in our lives. And that's the problem with most churches is we have it hanging on the wall, but we're not living it in our lives. Woo, I'm going to preach in just a minute. Seriously, that's what happens with us. Think about it. We go to church and there's this religious symbol of the cross, but nobody lives like Jesus. They're not even nice to one another. They look like they've been drowned in prune juice. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody looks mad and surly and all snarky and all. And they haven't seen a guest in 30 years. And when the back door opens, everybody turns and look. Oh, look, it's a visitor. Because, Because nobody lives the love of Jesus in their life. That's what John's talking about. Don't relegate this to a symbol. Don't relegate this to some relic. No, 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 no. It is greater than that. The truth of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life is first lived out here and secondly lived out there. And if you cannot live it out with your brothers and sisters, you don't have a true relationship with Jesus. Well, bless God, you just don't understand. No, sir, you don't understand. You're elevating your experience above the Word of God, and that's heretical and very dangerous. Because none of us, none of us get to supersede Scripture. None of us get to add to or take away. John says that we are to be obedient to Christ and his commands. And his commands are very simple. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said in doing these two things, you fulfill the entire law of the Old Testament. Now, that's much easier preached than live, right? Let's just be honest. But the reality is, that's how we know the truth of God is in us. Do you love God passionately? And do you love your neighbor? Do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love the people that you're sitting next to? And the third thing that he says here is to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 24, that we're to be filled with the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, this is how we know it, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and into our life, that that salvation experience is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit, capital S, seals the deal. That the Holy Spirit testifies to us 
that the Holy Spirit, that we know that we're in truth by the Spirit of God. Some of you, it's your first time to be at Life Church. And this is a common experience sometimes. People go, man, I just I feel this overwhelming sense of peace. I don't really understand it. Or I'm, I'm just emotional, like I'm crying. I just can't, I just don't. And there's something about this. It's the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what you sense. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It's not out there. It's exactly what Jesus Christ said, that when he went to go to be with the Father, that he would not leave us alone, that he would leave us the Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus, and it's to walk alongside of us like a personal on-star system. That, so we never get lost. So we can always know what God wants out of our life. To illuminate his word. To, 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 to keep that presence there. But it's a relationship like anything. And so when, when, when you're walking in the truth, the spirit of God is inside of you to comfort you and to convict you. To be there. Now, I don't, have, I don't have time to go into all of the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, but, but, but that's the essence of it. Now, I, I want to I stop here for a second, and before we go into chapter 4, verse 1, and we wrap everything up, I, I want to draw your attention to something, especially if you're holding a, a Bible in your hand, whether it's a digital version or a paper version. You will notice that there are chapter breaks. There are verse breaks. So, the, so the, that piece of Scripture is broken down into verses and into chapters. And if you have a newer version, you'll notice that there may be subheadings, you know, thematic, topical headings that it's broken down into. All of that is man-made. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a way so that we can access Scripture very carefully. But if you were to hold the actual original document in your hand, there would be no chapter breaks or verse breaks. Most of the New Testament were letters that were written. Or they were documents, historical documents, like the Gospels and like the book of Acts is chronicling the, the moving of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the New Testament church. But the prison epistles, the pastoral epistles, the Pauline epistles, John's, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, these are all letters. And so there would be no breaks here. And what's important about that is sometimes to take the Bible and read it through without chapter breaks or without verse breaks can give a whole different meaning. And you can really see what the original author intended. Matter of fact, one of my classes in, in seminary was to take the book of Acts and we got it down, we got it given to us without any chapter breaks, verse breaks. It was one just solid block text. And we had to go in and go through and impose chapter breaks, verse breaks based upon how we saw the text without the aid of any, of, of any Bible or study aids. It's a kind of a cool exercise, but I want to show you this. He, I want to go back and read verse 24 again, then I want to go right into chapter 4, verse 1. And notice how these two things, it's broken up by chapter division, but they really all connect together. And this is how it would have been originally written. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. How do we know this? By the Spirit, capital S, that he gave us. Chapter 4, verse 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. See how these things are all connected? They're divided by a chapter break, but that's just a man-made way of, of connecting Scripture. Don't believe every, every spirit, but test the spirits. Notice these are lowercase s. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit, capital S, of God. Every spirit that recognizes or acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit, lowercase s, that does not acknowledge that Jesus is of God, this spirit is of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
Verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. Jesus in you is greater than Satan in the world is what he's saying. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world's viewpoint is selfish. We've already established that. And the world listens to them. Again, it's selfish. It's all self-gratifying. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Again, selfless, selfish is coming back. This is how we recognize the spirit, capital S, of truth, and the spirit, lowercase s, of falsehood, or the spirit of the Antichrist. So John establishes here, I, I want to show you just a couple of things. First of all, as you're reading scripture, just is just something for you to do. Um, I know this sounds a bit boring and laborious, and I've kind of done it for you, but, but the base level of what's called exegesis of Scripture comes into play just basically even taking the text that you have and grammatically going through and noticing what's capitalized, knowing what's lowercase. There's, there's meaning that's there. Notice where the, the colons are and the semicolons are and where, where they put prepositional phrases. It's kind of diagramming sentences. And it gives you insight on what the author is trying to communicate, what God is trying to say. Now, on a weekend message like this, I've already kind of exegeted it, and I'm giving you that and bringing you that in Scripture. Yeah, you can really make your friends be kind of like your Mr. Bible knowledge man to go, I exegeted Scripture today. That's just, that's just to mean that you interpreted it, okay? It's a hermeneutical principle. So um, what he's saying is this. There's two spirits at work in the world. There's a spirit of God, capital S, and there's a spirit of the anti-God or the antichrist, lowercase s. There are two spirits at work, at work in the world. There's the Spirit of God, which by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you understand that you're saved, that you're living in truth, that He leads you into all truth, what we just talked about in verse 24. But there's a spirit in the world that may look spiritual, may sound spiritual, may act spiritual, but it's really not. The Bible says that Satan himself can parade or walk around as an angel of light, it looks godly, it looks spiritual, it look, but it's not. And so the Bible says for us to, it's our responsibility to discern or to test the spirits. Verse 1 says, says that, that um, we don't need to believe every spirit, but we need to test the spirits to see if they're from God, because there's many that are not. And how can you recognize the spirit of God? Does he, first of all, recognize Jesus? Here's what, I, here's what he means by this. If something is of God, it will fundamentally come and stem from Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the Word, the Bible, made flesh. Jesus is, it's the gospel. There's no other way to get to God but through the Son, Jesus. And so if any, if any other entity, if any other activity says, Oh, but there's multiple ways. Oh, but there's, you know, oh, there's many ways. It's a very pluralistic. It, it, that's an antichrist spirit. That's an anti-God spirit. There's two spirits in the world. The spirit of God, capital S, and the lower and lowercase s, the spirit of this world, which would be the anti-God or the antichrist spirit. And so it's important for us to understand that we as Christ followers, John's saying, we need to discern these things. We need to test these things. Don't just take things lock, stock, and barrel. That's why it's so important when I'm preaching on the weekend for you to have a Bible in front of you, whether it's a digital Bible on your smartphone or on a tablet or whether it's a paper Bible. Why? Because you need to be reading it yourself. You need to be asking questions yourself. You need to allow the Word of God to ask questions of you. You need to be looking at it and go, is this of the Lord? And again, I'm not going to ever do anything that would try to lead you astray. But there's a lot of people out there that come up with some really kooky stuff. 
that sound really spiritual. And, and we, we read even in Scripture, even in the first century, that they're led away. That's part of what's happening here. Is that there are people that are kind of going, well, maybe God's like this. And maybe Jesus really didn't mean this. And maybe, maybe, maybe. And, and all of a sudden it just tears apart at the very fabric of what you believe. You better know what you believe. So how do we know if something's about Jesus? Well, first of all, is it biblical? It's a great question to ask. Is it biblical? Well, you know what? I had this dream, and this is what God told me. Well, can God speak to us through dreams? Well, does he do that in Scripture? Yes. So is that possible? Sure. Is it common? Probably not, but, but it is possible. So what did he tell you? Well, he told me that I'm supposed to leave my spouse and go marry this other person because I'm not happy. Okay, well, let's go. Does that, does that hold any spiritual water? No. It sounds spiritual like I had this God experience is what God told me to do. And, and I'm telling you, I've had people, and, and, and you may know people that have blamed God for this kind of stuff. And they go, no, why? Because the Bible's very clear. God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates anybody that has to go through divorce. And if you've ever gone through, the, through a divorce, you would agree with him to go, this is not something I really signed up for. This is not something I really want to do. This, this, this is horrible. This is it's a death. It's a, it, it, it. So will God tell one person to divorce their spouse to go marry another person? No. Why? Because it's in Scripture. It violates the very nature and essence of Scripture. I had a dream, and God told me to wear a purple shirt on Tuesday. Great. Does that violate scripture? No. Can God speak to you about that? Yeah. Why? I have no idea, but okay. You understand? But if all of a sudden you have a revelation, you have a dream to wear a purple shirt on Tuesday, and you think everybody else should, you're jacked up. Understand? Because that's something that God has spoken to you. Does that make sense? I'm giving a lot. I hope, I hope this is, I'm really trying to make it simple. Another way that we discern the spirits is with fellow believers. This is why life group is so important. This is why doing life together is so important. This is why having mature Christ followers in your life to go, look, do you think this is of God? And not just violating that, but really giving that some time and to think and to process and go, do we really think? And, and let that be there. Be accountable to one another. Don't just go off and go rogue and go, well, bless God, I think this is, and I think you guys are all messed up. No, you're jacked up. The Bible says, let these things be established in the mouths of two to three witnesses. It's very clear in Scripture that if you're on your own on something, you're out there. But when things become established, even doctrinal principles, they need to be found three different places in Scripture. So go to fellow believers. And then also, we go back to what he said in verse 24. The Holy Spirit's in us. The Spirit of God is in us. And the Spirit of God will lead you if you'll just simply listen. This isn't right. There's something not right about this. And don't get, don't get spooky about it. And no, God told me. Don't, look, can I just help you with this? I'm a pastor. I have theological degrees. I, I do this for a living. You will very rarely, if ever, hear me say, and God said. It's playing the God card. It's like having an ace in poker, man. It, it's just, you, you, you just don't play that card maybe once or twice in your life. You can say, I feel like this is what the Lord is saying. I feel like this is where God's leading. But let that be subject to, does it hold up to Scripture? Is it substantiated with fellow believers? I feel like this is what God wants us to do. You know, in the book of Acts, more times than not, the way the disciples led the New Testament church is by this, by this mantra. It was good with us and with the Holy Spirit, which means I had peace about it. We had peace as brothers in Christ about it. 
and we feel like this is where God was leading us. Even Paul the Apostle, when he does his missionary journeys, if you read it, I felt like I was supposed to go here. Well, that blew up, so maybe I'm supposed to go over here. Well, I got shipwrecked there. Well, okay, maybe God's doing this to get me here. We're not fallible. I mean, we're not infallible. We're fallible people. And it's not that God is schizophrenic. It's sometimes getting it through our filters what makes it difficult. And so it's important to understand we have a responsibility to discern that. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 says that we're to test all the spirits and only hold on to what is good. Again, just be mindful of these things. So let me conclude all this and wrap it up today. Kind of the so what. John explains and demonstrates basically that the world's love is selfish, but that the love of God, the love of Jesus is selfless. And it's the selfless love of Jesus that we're drawn to. And it's this selfless love of Jesus that's to be an action and a truth in our lives if we call ourselves Christ followers. So what are we to do with this today? Well, first of all, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you crossed the line and given your life to Christ? That'd be the first question. If you haven't, I, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute, whether you're at the Appleton campus or the West campus, you're online or you're at Germantown, to give your life to Christ, to confess with your mouth and to believe in your heart what Jesus says that he is. But the second thing is, are you obedient to the commands if you're a Christ follower? Are you, are you in love with Jesus? And are you loving your brothers and your sisters as you love yourself? How's your compassion with one another? How is it? When was the last time that you saw a need? Did you try to minister to that need or just walk away from it? Are you passionately in love with Jesus? Maybe you need to say, I'm sorry to a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe you need to apologize for your actions, for your words. For your attitude. And, and the last is, are you, are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God, if you're following Jesus, is in you. Are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are you following? He will speak to you. Are you listening? Look, He doesn't just speak to me. He may speak to me and lead me on behalf of leading this church. But that's only because I'm in the office or in the role of the senior pastor. That's not because I'm Aaron Cole. It's because I'm in the office and the role of senior pastor. And the day that I step out of this role, he will no longer speak to me about this because I'm no longer an authority in this position. But he will speak to me as he will to you about my life and lead me and guide me in my life. And the question isn't, is he speaking? The question is, am I listening? Am I listening? Look, you don't need me or anybody else up here telling you what to do. You know what to do. The question is, are you doing it? So here's what I want to do. At, at all of our campuses, I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their head and close your eyes. At the West Campus, at the Germantown Campus, at the Appleton Campus, even online, if you're just sitting there and you're joining us, just would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just kind of as a point of just kind of close everything else out. If you're a Christ follower, and there's some areas where you're not passionately in love with Jesus or you've got issues with your brothers and sisters, right where you are, just say, God, forgive me. Confess your sins to him. John chapter 1 says he's our advocate. Confess it to him. 
You need to acknowledge that before him. Ask him to restore that in you and help you. Maybe someone's done you wrong. You just need to give that to God and pray for them. But you've allowed bitterness or resentment to build up in your heart and your life. And thus, the love of God is not in you. Maybe you've just, it's been a long time since you've just said, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Lead me. I'm here. Just in this moment, in this presence. In the theater where you're sitting at the Appleton campus or at the West campus, at the room auditorium in the Germantown campus. Just let the Holy Spirit speak. God will speak to you. And that still, small voice. And if you're here today and you've not put your faith in Jesus, I want to pray with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. Praying the prayer doesn't save you, but believing what you're praying will save you. Just real simple. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all of my sins. Give me the new life in you. I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of the living God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the grave just like the Bible says. I confess you as my Lord and Savior today. In Jesus' name. Father, I just pray for every person. God, at every campus, that you would speak and that we would respond. Your word says that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We humble ourselves before you today. We confess our sins, our faults, our failures. We know that we're saved in you, but we just confess and we stand on your word that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves. Let the love of God be in us and be evident in everything that we do in Jesus' name. Amen.